Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon is from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. You must know what a pressure it is to find new ways to start my message every day. (laughs) And if my shower could talk, it would now be sick of this song because the Lord has just been impressing it on me over and over again. It was written by Fanny Crosby almost 200 years ago now. Um, And I don't think I'd realized that she was blind almost from birth. And if you keep reading on the other two verses, it's, it's just remarkable what she saw as a sightless person. And hopefully it will become clear as we, we look at what God has for us this morning, why I sang that to you. It seemed inappropriate to just read it. I had to challenge myself a little bit to go beyond where I had been in the past. You know, another thing that I have a real privilege of doing is getting to speak to a lot of people about themselves, about life, about what they're, what they're going through, about where, where we're at. Um, it's become such a part of who I am, and I'm, I think I'm naturally an introvert, but it's become such a part of who I am that often if I'm standing in a queue... I end up chatting to somebody around me. Of course, if Nadine's with me, then she's usually started half an hour before me. But uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful, and you get to, to see people's lives and where they're at. And I've been reflecting a lot on the things that I've been hearing, and it's actually, I think, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but it's actually the lockdowns that have been so tough for most of us. There are several of us who have really, like Lucy was sharing testimony just now, God's divine coming through uh, for her daughter. For the, there aren't that many of us, though. We've all been exposed to COVID one way or the other, but there aren't that many of us who have really battled with loved ones being sick and even passing away. But we have all battled with this lockdown and Now we're locked down, now we're not, now we're in level X, now we're in level Y. We don't know what we can do today. We can go to the pub tomorrow, we can't. Uh, I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Maybe from being locked down. But as I've thought about, as I've thought about this and chatted to to people and, and realized that it's this, it's lockdown especially that has been so tough. I've realized that one of the biggest things that is done in us, and I really do say in us because I recognize I'm afraid this truth for myself, is it's made us spend too much time 
thinking about ourselves. We've kind of zoom, our eyes have kind of not rolled back in our heads, but they've become, we've become introspective and not necessarily in a healthy way. And I, I know I'm painting all of us with one brush and it's definitely different for different people, but I think that we spend a lot of time uh, thinking about stuff, some of which is stuff from long in the past. If you're a believer, some of it is stuff that you've already put under the blood of the lamb, but it's kind of bubbled back up to the surface. You've gone far to the east and you have gone and got it back. Stuff that you had handed over to Jesus. I think because we've had too much time and we spent too much of that time thinking about things that are not healthy. For some of us, uh, we don't allow ourselves to think that way because life is all about faith and faith does not allow us to entertain any kind of doubt. So our challenge is, in a sense, and forgive me if, if this cuts a little deep, is being super spiritual. And the problem with being super spiritual is we kind of lose a bit of touch with reality. So whoever you are and wherever you're at, I really felt the Lord saying that there are some of us who have struggled in reality, in practical terms, with the assurance of our salvation. And you may be looking at, uh, at the slide and thinking, what on earth has this got to do with values? <laughs> I believe the Lord speak two things to me uh, that he wanted, he wanted me to share. And the first was this thing of our the assurance of our salvation. Knowing as, as, as far as we can, and I'll explain what I mean by that just now, that Jesus has really got hold of us and that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And that part of our struggle is this thing of values. And I've uh, titled this message, The Value of Values. What is the value in values? And the fact that there is a value of values. And even in the sense of the value of values, the supreme value. But we'll get there just now. So this, this issue of assurance of salvation, of, of how do we know that God has really touched us? How do we know that our faith in Him is something real? I, my brain works in a more scientific way and science generally likes to talk about the measurements that can be repeated. And if I can't measure it, then I can't put a scientific equation. Sorry, I've been reading a lot of maths as well recently. It's part of my hobby. Yes, I'm strange. Pray for Nadine. Um, but part of, part of maths is being able to see patterns, and the stuff I've been reading is about how do you see patterns of patterns. And 
that very much encapsulates this scientific thinking. I need to be able to measure it and I need to be able to repeat it based on a, on a theory. But the spiritual world, unfortunately, defies most of that kind of empirical scientific uh, process. And because of that, many people have seriously struggled with, is there any reality to the spiritual world? And if that is true, then what does this thing I'm calling salvation actually mean? Is it just a psychological phenomena? And there are many studies about how religion and spirituality, which are not the same things, um, are psychological phenomena. I remember reading a, sorry, rabbit hole, danger. Danger, Will, Robin, Will Robinson. But I remember reading a, a sociological article about uh, tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues, and trying to analyze and assess. And obviously, the, the, the researcher had gone to a particular group of people because they, they seem to have about three or four starting mechanisms for that thing. And I remember questioning again in myself, is this thing of tongues real? But as the psalmist said, when I came into your temple, suddenly things look different. And this is where values come into this whole equation. While I'm staying in, let's call it the world, with the world's values, with the world's perspective, I can only see through that perspective. I need to change my perspective in order to see a bigger world. I need to get up on the mountaintop to see that there's more than the, just the valley that I, can, that I feel like that I'm in right now. So, I'd like us to look at a scripture. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn to 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to start reading from verse 11. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation uh, today. You almost got another FJT version um, of this scripture because the, of, of the six or seven different uh, Bible translations that I read of this, I really liked this verse from this and that verse from the other. That seemed a bit disingenuous to pick and, pick and choose. So we're going to read from the New Living Translation, great version of the Bible. Verse 11, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we're sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Jesus died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. 
This means that everyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, is a new creation. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is such a wonderful passage and I've been mulling it over and meditating on it for a while. It was one of the scriptures that God spoke to us uh, last weekend while we were away praying for what he has for us for next year, which is super exciting. My biggest problem now is to wait until next year. (laughs) So I have tried tried to limit myself to just four things that I want to pull out of the scripture. Um, because it's just so wonderful. When I read through this in the, in the Greek, that first phrase, in, uh, or the second phrase actually in verse 11, where he says, uh, we're, um, therefore, we, because we know the fear of the Lord, we're attempting to persuade people because we are revealed to God. Man, when I looked at that in the Greek, it looked like Zulu. You know how the Zulu say, I see you? And no, that's not Avatar. That's uh, Sobona, I see you. That's what the Greek literally says. And we are seen by God. And there is something beautiful in that. When we come to know Jesus, when we meet with Him, when we allow Him to deal with who we are and we commit ourselves and our lives to Him, trusting Him by faith that what Jesus did on the cross was for us, there is this sense in which God says, I see you, I recognize you, I acknowledge you. The Scripture wonderfully goes on past that and says, I acknowledge you as my child. It's no longer this uh, general uh, thing, Christ died for all. Christ died for me. I am his. I see you and I have been seen by you. It's interesting though that it connects that with because we know the fear of the Lord. That's how the NIV and the CSB and uh, ESV and quite a few others uh, put it. The fear of the Lord, of course, if if you allow the scripture to interpret itself, Particularly the psalmist loved that phrase. Psalm 119 says, the fear of the Lord is pure. Wow, how can fear be pure? Surely fear is a bad thing because perfect love casts out all fear. That's from 1 John. So what is the fear of the Lord then? And that's why I liked uh, how, it, how it interprets it in the NLT. Since we have this awesome, overwhelming uh, charge from God, overwhelming responsibility to be who God has purposed to be. Since we know those things, fear doesn't contradict. The fear of the Lord does not contradict the love of God. It is just the overwhelmingness of who He is. And that 
fear of the Lord, that overwhelmingness of recognizing who he is causes us to, as Acts 1.8 says, be his witnesses. And Paul here in 2 Corinthians picks up on this idea of our conscience testifies. And here is the, the first part of an understanding of the assurance of salvation. Our consciences testify. Well, our consciences are not perfect. They're part of us. They're part of what is corrupted in us by sin. And yet they are also regenerated by faith in Jesus Christ. They're made new again before the big words overcome me. So our consciences testify to us that something real has happened. Not something that I can put down in a mathematical equation. No lambda calculus explains Jesus in us. No quantum physics uh, theory is able to explain Jesus in us. It's able to explain other stuff. But our conscience is able to testify to us. Yes, there is such a thing as self-delusion. But most self-delusion is only external appearance of self-delusion. I want you to believe that I believe this. In our heart of hearts, we know. When you're alone and there's no one to try and impress or um, make yourself appear or to be someone or, or something that maybe you aren't, your conscience testifies to the reality or the lack of reality of your faith in Jesus. He goes on, Paul goes on and just talks about, we're not, content, we're not trying to convince you. And man, I wanted to talk about this thing of uh, how he says, how, how does he phrase it? I love, I love it. Uh, we're not giving you a... Uh, start again. Are we com commending ourselves to you again? In other words, are we trying to look good? He's saying this in the, in the context of my conscience confirms that what I'm telling you is really the reality. No, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us. Oh, that's a, such a stunning uh, translation, interpretation of this. So that you can answer some of those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. He's saying that it's possible to even be in ministry and living in violation to your own conscience. You're going through the motions, we like to say. Our conscience, we need to listen to. Are we truly surrendered to Jesus? So the first thing is just this, this whole thing, we have been seen by God. He takes the initiative and says, I see you. And the second thing from verse 14 is Christ's love controls us. Because we have seen him, he has seen us. Christ's love controls us. And the first thing I want to say here is we need to let it. Our greatest challenge is our desire to still hold on to a modicum of control. Jesus, I love you. I want to be involved in your plan. Please let it be my plan. 
And sometimes what we sing doesn't actually help us. It basically, we sing, Jesus, please get on board with my great idea. It's why we love to talk about going to Jesus first. I've just finished reading through Ezekiel as part of my, my Bible reading plan. One of my favorites, possibly not the right uh, word, one of the most challenging passages in Ezekiel, uh, apart from reading through 10 chapters of this temple that has never existed, but apparently exists in heaven, and all of these incredible dimensions, but not apart from that is this passage where he says, I think it's Ezekiel 46, Son of man, if a man prays to me with idols in his heart, I will answer him according to those idols. That to me is a profoundly challenging scripture. When we put other things alongside Jesus or above Jesus in our, in our vision, what do we see? In our hearts, what do we believe? Then he answers us in accordance with those things. Doesn't stop speaking to us. And, and there's, there's a sense of grace in this as well that there isn't in, in Ezekiel. He's saying, put the idols away. But there is a sense of grace that he continues to speak to us. But he's wanting those idols gone. He's wanting us to be able to see him as he sees us. He sees us through the idols. We sometimes miss the idols and think that our idol looks like Jesus. The love of Christ controls us. And he doesn't say it needs to, it does. So our faith is, the, is the, in the truth that Jesus' death was for everyone. How can we have assurance of salvation? Well, our conscience tells us whether our experience with him, our conviction, as the Bible calls it, but it's based on the revelation of this truth. It's based on us hearing and choosing to accept that this truth is for us, that Jesus died for everyone. Well, that's a phrase that if you've been to church before gets thrown around a lot. What does it actually mean? Jesus died for everyone. We've definitely sanitized the cross of Jesus and not just with this stuff. We've sanitized it in our thinking. We've sanitized the horror of the cross uh, by making it into beautiful gold ornate jewelry. I've uh, seen a few church buildings in Europe where they have these enormous metal, often uh, gold-plated uh, crosses hanging up in the middle of the church. And it is seriously impressive, which was actually their original desire, was to make those church buildings impressive to reflect the impressiveness of God. But somewhere along the way, we were more impressed with the building than with the God who it was supposed to represent, just as an aside. But we've sanitized the cross. Jesus died it was an ugly, slow execution. And Paul consistently calls it a sacrifice. It wasn't even done in the temple. There was no altar. It was a humiliating, intentionally humiliating, but from a Roman perspective, execution. But Paul says, 
the, the, the physical stuff that you could measure, the physical stuff that you could experience is only part of the reality that underlies it. God accepted Jesus' execution as a sacrifice for everybody's sins. Well, if you've got a, a bit of a logical brain, which occasionally I have, then you say, well, why doesn't everybody get to enjoy that? Because that's not the whole story. The whole story comes down to God has made provision. He says, come to me. And nobody comes to the Father except through the Son, as John 14 says. In other words, Christianity, whether we like it or not, is an exclusive religion. There are other religions in the world that do not make exclusive claims to being the only way. But biblical Christianity does. No man comes to the Father, and that's inclusive man, meaning woman. No woman comes to the Father except through Jesus. There is no other way. So God's made provision for everybody, but it's only coming to Jesus on his terms, which is by faith in what he's done, dealing with our past and giving us a future, that we can come into the fullness and the fullness of the purpose of what he has for us. So this thing of faith, it doesn't stand opposed to, to the scientific method. It stands, in a sense, in a different league. We try, and, we try and compare the two. Well, you can have faith or facts. You can have a scientific method or a, a faith-filled method. Well, that's nonsense. They possibly are better described as different perspectives on the same thing. Mind you, some of the, some of the scientific uh, things, uh, theories that I've read uh, from the various centuries require almost as much faith as, as not believing in Jesus. But that's a different thing. This comes down to a question of values. Are you prepared to allow God to be God? Are you prepared to allow Him? And that comes down to values. We have based before we come to know Jesus, everything on what I'm going to call worldly values. That is, values that exclude God in his revelation in the Bible. And those values in themselves not only don't, but cannot lead us to Jesus. We cannot have some kind of designer Christianity where I take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and I mix them together, and I believe in Jesus. Jesus was quite a common name, by the way, at uh, 2,000 years ago. There's quite a lot of them. Some of them were really bad. We even get another one in Acts. Uh, Jesus Justice, I think. Another Jesus. It was a common name, saying you believe in Jesus. Do you believe in God on his terms? Because your values say there is more than just this um, mechanical or quantum uh, world around us. I knew that I'd prepared too much. Moving on. 
Anyone who is in Christ, verse 17, is a new creation. Christ is alive in us. Our assurance is that we don't serve a dead God, but that Christ is alive in us. And because he's alive in us, he is making us alive in this whole new spiritual dimension. That's what uh, verse 17 is talking about. Because Jesus is objectively real, and because we've received him by faith and our consciences can testify to that, he continues to be alive in us. There wasn't this momentary breaking through of the clouds where we, we saw and we had some kind of funny experience that our um, consciences tell us had some kind of reality and now the clouds closed up again and that, that feeling, that experience has passed us by. There is a reality in which Christ comes into us. When I first came to know Jesus, they used to talk about uh, Jesus being at home in our hearts. Well, it's an interesting metaphor, uh, and not a bad one, I don't think. But there is this sense in which Jesus lives in us and because Jesus lives in us, he makes us alive. And then he, he kind of, Paul jams this, these truths together and he... I think I squeezed it too hard usually my wife's problem but anyway if anyone is in Christ he's a new creation Paul squeezes these two truths together that the death of, of Jesus was we back again okay round two or round three just as I'm coming into land. The life, the death of Jesus deals with that which we could not in ourselves deal with. And it talks about uh, the death of Jesus bringing a death to sin in us. But it also talks about the life of Jesus bringing and breathing life in us. So the second dimension of the assurance of salvation comes from Jesus still being at work in us on a day-to-day -day basis. It comes to us by our values being transformed. And as I, uh, as I bring this uh, into land, I want to talk a little bit about the value of values. God created humanity in His image. And we know what good is because of this, the embers of the image of God in, in all of us as human beings. Our challenge is that without Jesus, all of our values ultimately come back to being selfish. And I love this idea of even good parenting, good generosity, good romance are the embers of the image of God in people. We know what is good and we can do good things because God created us in his image. And even though we are maybe spiritually dead towards God, we can still do good. And there's not one of us who, if we are honest, can't testify to that. And that's part of why being good is never 
no, not is never, is not what God is looking for. God's way is to come to him by faith, not by being good. Being good is the evidence that God is alive in us. And doing more good today than yesterday, or maybe than the day before, if you had a bad day yesterday, is the evidence of Christ alive in us. And it gives us assurance of salvation because we know the reality of God and our values are being changed. And by that, I don't mean that we no longer value good. We continue to value good, but we recognize that God is the source of all good. So our values can no longer exclusively revolve around us. Our values have to revolve around Him who is ultimately good. And because of that, our values become good. What's amazing about the goodness of God and what is incredible about submitting to His will, His way, is the fact that in giving up our rights to self-autonomy, we find greater freedom than we ever could. In giving up our rights to, to have a conscience that says, man, I did so well to say, rather, you I did it God's way and it was incredible. Not only do I feel good about myself, but a whole lot of other people got blessed in the, almost in the overflow of it. We need to live out eternal values. Colossians 3.1 talks about that and uh, Ephesians 2.6 also talks about setting our hearts, setting our minds on things above. Where Christ is, it's not about being so heavenly minded with no earthly use. It's about setting our minds on Christ, on perfection. And focusing on that. And I said I was landing. I seem to be doing several circuits before actually coming in. Why is this thing of values so important? Just bring it back to values. Values dictate our culture. Values dictate our culture. I remember reading in um, The God Who Is There, Francis Schaeffer. Schaeffer talking about the fact that there are two values in modern society. And just by the way, modern society for him was 1983. That was the year he passed away. And he said, the problem is it's still so true. There are two values in modern society, personal peace and affluence. And he defined personal peace as, I will be safe and secure at any and everybody else's cost. And affluence as the accumulation of things. Our values change it's no longer exclusively about me. It's about, Lord, what is your will? Because I know I'm going to benefit most from living in your will. And I know that others are going to benefit from me living in and out of your will. So, in conclusion, there is assurance to our faith. It may not come from, from science. Definitely won't come from Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, but it may come from your conscience. Because our consciences, when we're on our own and not putting up facades or faces, 
testifies to whether we have really been in contact with the living God. And the second part of assurance, and there are, there are other things, but I'm just focusing on these two because they come out of these, this scripture, is about the fact that Christ is alive in us today. Because he lives, and I can testify that he lives in me, he is changing me. It's about our trajectory, not our perfection. It's about the love of Christ controlling me. We need to be purposeful in choosing and following Jesus. Because otherwise, we're roller skating, if you can remember what those things are. Rollerblading uphill. If you take a break, you're not static. You're either moving forward or you're moving back. And the evidence of this assurance is manifested in a change of our values. No longer do we just value the experience of party party, or whatever it may be, the experience of experience. Christ is alive in us, and because of that, our values change. The evidence is in the trajectory rather than in the impact. I wonder if I can ask you to stand. I want to give us an opportunity to respond to Jesus. So here's a great moment for us to allow our consciences, our real consciences, that in our heart, to testify to where we're at. So I'm going to ask if you'll close your eyes, because it's way too easy to be distracted by the person next to you or in front of you or whatever. So this is not a, some super spiritual formula. This is about allowing you to be honest with yourself, your conscience to testify. If you recognize that you are not where you want to be with Jesus, then you need to respond to him now. He has done everything, this scripture says, to bring and reconcile you back to God. Other scriptures talk about he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. If the love of God is not constraining you, if the life of God is not evident in your life, first of all, I want to challenge you. Have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you committed your life to him? Have you allowed him to rebirth you? If you haven't, now is the moment to ask him to do that. And if you find yourself in a place where you recognize I've had all this time, Lord, but actually I seem to have spent most of it thinking about the wrong stuff and not allowing you to be at work in me, not allowing your life to fill my life. And so you're battling with that assurance of salvation. You're battling with the, the truth that Jesus is near to you. If that's you, I would like to pray for us and then I would like to give an opportunity for you to come forward if you want to, to respond to Jesus. Coming forward is not spiritual. It's just saying, here am I. I need, I need someone to stand with me. So faithful Father, as, as we stand in your presence this morning, we're not in heaven, but heaven's not far from us because you are near. We acknowledge 
you. We recognize you and we say thank you that you see us. So we yield ourselves to you. Lord Jesus, I recognize now that I've heard about you, but I've not surrendered my life to you. So right now by faith, I believe that you died for me to deal with my past, to deal with my sin. I believe, I believe that. I don't understand it. I don't get all the details, but I do believe it because you said it's true. And I believe that, that you have a purpose and plan that you're working out on this earth that is ultimately good, even in the face of the terrible evil, Lord, that I see around me. I believe that the plan that you are working out is ultimately good. And so I ask you, I want to be part of that plan. So I release myself to you. I yield myself to you. I give my life to you. Jesus, I am yours. Be mine. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And if you've held back or you recognize that you've held back from Jesus, then pray that same prayer. Even if you know that you're his, but you haven't had that assurance from his life being worked out in your life, he will put it right just like that. You don't have to work for it. Nothing's changed. He wants to be involved in your life. Lord Jesus, we thank you that these simple words are not empty words because you are real and you've told us to come to you in prayer, to commit ourselves to you and you will work in us. So we thank you. By faith, we thank you for that reality and we do choose to put all our faith in you because of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it was a blessing to you. If you want to connect with us further, log on to our website, venturechurch.co.za or connect with us on our various social pages, Instagram and Facebook.